It's only fucking advertising! Hello, everyone. We are back with another episode of It's Only Fucking Advertising. I'm your host, Aaron Starkman from Rethink. Hi there. Hello. How are you? Today's guest is Daniel Lobaton. Now, some of you may have read the news that Daniel was named CCO of Rethink's New York office. So just to prepare you for what you're about to listen to, this interview happened way back in April when Daniel was still the president and CCO of Saatchi, New York City, of the It's a Tide ad fame. So when you hear us talking about Can coming up and absolutely nothing about him being at Rethink or coming to Rethink, that's why. It was done in the spring in 2022. I want to give a shout out to Sound Lounge in New York City for helping with this episode. And everyone at Vapor Music in Canada want to especially thank Ryan and, of course, our executive producer and audio director, Ted Rosnick. And a big shout out to Aaron Scott. Now, I'm not going to talk about a traditional sponsor today in this little intro. I'm actually just going to read a message I got from a creative named Vitaly Kapustian, who's in Ukraine right now. And he asked me a favor. I'm very happy to do it. I'll just read what he wrote instead of trying to to summarize it. Hello, Mr. Starkman. I'm a creative from Ukraine. Back in 2019, my friend and I won a Cannes Young Gold Medal in the film category. Now, we are selling those medals. As you know, there is a big war going on in our country and we want to donate this money to a big Ukrainian fund. I'm writing for your help in spreading the info about our auction. Go.koloua.com forward slash lions. I decided to write to you as a big fan of IOFA. This show made me laugh, inspired me, made me make an extra lap on my way home just to finish the episode without any distractions. I believed in your voice, and somehow I believe that this silly letter will help me get support for my country. I would appreciate if you could share the news of the auction with your listeners and among the creative community in the world. Gratefully, your listener from Ukraine. Okay, so happy to help Vitaly and his partner. Uh, once again, com forward slash lions. Okay, so let's get into the episode with Daniel from back in the spring. Here he is, Daniel Lobaton, on another episode of IOFA. It's only fucking advertising! Hey, Daniel. How are you? I'm good. Like, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a huge fan as well. You know, like, uh, you sound like an ad nerd. I'm, I'm certainly an ad nerd, and I've been, uh, <laughs> I've been following you for a while, and uh, all of your... All of your amazing tide things, I feel every year, whether it's like a virtual can or a can can, uh, I see tide winning gold lions like every single year. <laughs> so, are you going to can uh, this year? Entries are just done. Can's coming up in a couple months. Yeah, I mean it's been crazy running through case studies, finishing the last of the last, and trying to squeeze in as many as we can. You know, like it's that rush of the first quarter of the year. But yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah. So you're in New York now, and uh, where'd you grow up? Oh, Lima, Peru. Lima. Yeah. How often are you going back? And lots of family there and friends there, I assume. Yeah, my entire family is there. 
and, you know, my friends from childhood and everything. I left when I was 23, so, you know, I have a lot of friends there and a lot of, um, you know, my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, my grandma, who's 98, is there. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so I, I try to go twice a year just to check in on grandma, be there with my sister, who's way younger than me. So, yeah, it's still kind of home, but, you know, not really. <laughs> so you have a brother and a sister, and your sister's uh, a lot younger. Yeah, she's like 20 years younger. So I guess my brother and I are like 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. But we did grow up together, whereas my sister, I kind of left when she was four. So, you know, we have this like weird, am I like a weird uncle to her? I don't know. But like, I like going and hanging out with her a little bit and seeing her. Mm-hmm. You know, what weird part of the teenage years are you in? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So you mentioned you left Lima when you were 23, and uh, I, I know that you went to Paris around then and interned at P&G. Mm-hmm. So how do you go from embarking on a career path as a Procter & Gamble marketer to becoming a creative right. who's known for some of the most loved P&G work ever with all your Tide stuff? And I think I saw that your creative pivot started for you at Y&R Paris. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how that all happened and if you had a creative mentor that you learned from during that time? Yeah, so I got my, my copywriter internship at Y&R Paris in the Colgate-Palmolive business. My boss was amazing. He, was, he taught me so much. Who is your boss? Uh, his name is Carmine Coppola. He's, he's from Brooklyn, but he was living in France. So there was a little bit of this, like, no one is from Paris. So everyone is going through that immigrant experience at a different moment in their life. Mm-hmm. So I was a kid and he was like, obviously he had a family and whatever. And, and I think it was just like one of the most enriching experiences because... In South America, you see advertising that's just like the crazy idea and it happens and let's win the lion and whatever. And and here it was, no, this is the hardworking stuff for Colgate-Palmolive that you need to crack and it's going to be a tough brief and the product has to be front and center mm-hmm. and this is the big leagues and it has to be global and the idea has to translate into 27 languages, yeah. no puns, no this, no that. And I'm like, okay, so, whew. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I worked at YNR and... I know that world of Colgate Palmolive. Is it still a, a Y&R thing all yeah. these years later? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're doing amazing. They did a great campaign last year at Cannes. I started in uh, the year 2000. And yeah, that was a big Y&R account. That and uh, Advil. What's Advil? Whitehall Robbins? Anyway, so yeah, that was a thing. And it was hard. I got a few of those briefs. It was really, really, really hard. And exactly what you said, it needs to... Everybody needs to get it. It needs to just like translate perfectly. And it was, I remember being one of the hardest few briefs I've ever had to this day. That is a good training ground. So you're there. What year is this? 2010. 2010. Are you doing work that you're liking in Paris? (laughs) I went and I, (laughs) this is, I don't know if I can say this. I guess 10 years later I can, Um, or more. Um, We had this spot that we loved. And I went back home for Christmas and came back with a spot shot. Oh, you just went and did it? Yeah, I went and did it. I I came back and I told my boss, here's a spot. He was like, wait a minute, that's not how this works. Like, we're supposed to go through production. And I'm like, listen, this was moving really slow. (laughs) 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 I felt like, you know, like, how long is this going to take? And this guy wanted to do it, so we just did it. And... 
and he was so supportive. He was like, I love that you did this. Like, how can we help make it better? Like, you needed some special effects. We figured it out. We went to the client. The client actually loved it. They ran it in the Middle East and something like that. And and we just, you know, we had to back back figure everything, no? Like, who do we need to pay to have the rights to this and that? And who needs to sign where and da, da, da. But it was like, I just, you know, because I, I knew the spot was good. Like, yeah. I, I knew it was great. Yeah. So what happened after Paris? So what happened was my family was still back home and a very, very, very close relative of mine got sick. And so this was the moment after being at Colgate Palmolive at YNR for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, I was starting to put together something that I felt like this is enough to go knock on a few other doors and, you know, and, um, and as that was happening, I ended up doing a freelance for an agency with a friend and we ended up winning a silver lion with a print ad that we made in like three weeks. Tell me the tell me um, the ad. What's the ad? Describe it. Have you seen? It's an agency called Heresy that's run by Andreas Tilacci, who's an amazing, amazing creative in mm. Europe. Yeah, no very, doubt. very talented. Yeah. And uh, it's for a bug spray called Vapona, and it's a lot of handprints. And in between the handprints, you see like the one little place that isn't covered by the handprints, and that's where the mosquito is. And it says, stop trying on the bug spray. <laughs> and we did that with a fly sweater, and we did that with like a, like a flip-flop. So it's that feeling of, man, I really want to kill this thing, and, but you just can't hit it yeah. exactly where it is. Right. Yeah. It's, like, uh, it's like that Pulp Fiction scene. Which one? When uh, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson... Yeah. They, they, yeah, they're like they're they're it's at a exactly wall. They're like at a that. wall, and then some guy comes out of the closet and opens fire. Yeah. like eighty shots. And they, don't get hit. they don't have a scratch on them. They turn around yeah. and they see eighty bullets near their ears and head, yeah. all around them on the wall. It's like it's a frustrating thing, and that is uh, that's a good insight. You know what? I don't know. That's that's better than a silver lion, I think. So we were we were in that we were in that moment in your career, you know, where you kind of like go like, oh, I think I I get. I get what needs to be done to get to that level of work. Um, but my relative got sick. And so I took a plane back home. Mm. Um, and I went, I stayed within YNR and I worked for a very, very, very talented copywriter called Flavio Pantigoso, who was the ECD. Mm -hmm. um, tough love, but, uh, but he had gathered a great team. Um, and he made me creative director, which I was like, whoa, that's a leap. And he was like, yeah, but you come with stuff that no one here has seen. Like you've been working abroad and et cetera, et cetera. So I want you to work here with the standards of there. What are you like, you know? 26 years old, 27 years old? Yeah, 26. Young. That's young. Yeah, young, young. young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it, I didn't have a huge team, right? It's not like Peruvian agencies are 400 people like they're not like it was a small team but I had the responsibility of running a couple of brands and you know <laughs> you learn yeah, you learn yeah. fast yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then once uh, the things with my relative you know she passed away that was extremely sad for me yeah I'm sorry um, but um, but I thought I wasn't done with abroad and I was I, once you live abroad and experience what it's like to learn a, a new culture you kind of come back home and you go like, well, I'm still young. Like, do I really want to come home this soon? Or, you know, did I do the right thing, come home for family? And now I can go ahead and keep trying the 
whatever crazy adventures are out there. And around that time, Sergio Coser from a multicultural agency in Austin, Texas called Latin Works calls me and says, hey, would you like to come? Yeah. And I loved Austin, Texas because of all the nerdy movie blogs and the Alamo Draft House and the ACL and all of that stuff. And yeah. I was like, I don't know, it kind of sounds funny to go from Paris to Texas. It's going to be so different. And I just hopped on the plane and I got the visa and I came to the U.S. via Texas. And where'd you end up next? I went to Kansas City. That was, I worked on Wendy's. Right as they were d doing some incredible work on social, right? Like yeah. there was a very smart team. They were finding that voice. And, and I kind of witnessed the amazing rise of uh, what Wendy's is now today. Like I, and we were doing, of course, we were working on different things. I was creative director. We were doing TV. We were doing a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the team that was there really embraced what the what was happening on Twitter and were like, oh, we this is this is an, a completely different way of thinking about a brand. The voice is always on, mm -hmm. but that vo that always on voice can lead the innovation that happens in the brand. The wink and the nod. The the you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The sassiness, if you want. Mm -hmm. um, and then I left, but but and then I saw how they were extremely like then they did the Fortnite thing and this and that, and I was super proud because it's great friends of mine that were you know the art director team that worked you know the senior art director team that I worked with, and now suddenly they were they were doing this amazing work, and you know I'm super proud. Yeah, that Fortnite thing was great, brilliant. Like yeah, so brilliant. good. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So just for our listeners, so the Fortnite thing for those that don't know it. There was this um, food fight game mode, and there was a burger situation, and there was freezers everywhere where the burgers were stored. <laughs> so, so Wendy's um, made a character, you know, like red hair, pigtails, and like she came in and just all she did was destroy freezers nonstop, and everyone was talking about it, and uh, I think it won a lot of lions, and it was great. Yeah. And then, uh, and that was a great agency for. I think, and again, YNR. It was VML before it became VML YNR, but mm -hmm. it was within that family. And mm -hmm. I think it was like, it was the first agency that I felt didn't feel. How should I put it? How should I put it in a way that that sounds as positive as I want it to sound? It's like I think VML YNR was like a company that did advertising, but they behaved like an adult company. They would take care of you and they would just like, here are some goals and here are some things and this is where we want you to go and mm. da, 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 and this is like the bigger objective. How do we support you with resources? Like it was so well, it was a well-oiled machine, you know? And, yeah. and the whole thing that I've been exposed to in the past was more like, oh, it's the crazy it's the South American, break the rules things that gets you the results. But... But I think that year VML YNR won like 25 lions. And I was like, well, <laughs> what? <laughs> so you can have like a balanced life and have like a, you know, relatively responsible machine yeah. and, and still get to those results. That's crazy. That changed my, that changed the way I'd look at advertising for sure. Yeah. There's this perception in the industry that you need to work 20 hours a day and it's work, 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 work. And that's the only way good results come in terms of awards and yeah. all that other stuff. And that's just, that's false. There's so many agencies out there that are doing great work and not killing their people with crazy hours and, and crazy shit. Okay, so I want to talk about New York. How did that all come about? 
New York happened because Javier was at the helm. Javier Campopiano was at the helm of Sachi. And Javier and I had been, you know, talking over time, you know. Yeah. Um, and my wife was a little bit like, you know, it, it enough with Kansas City. Like, it was great. I, I realize you're having a good time here and that there may be a great career for you here, but I, I, it's not working for me. And I was like, okay, I understand. Um, she did every like um, to her credit. She did everything to to stay in Kansas City as possible, as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. But you know when someone is like, "Hey, I'm, this is not working out," and and I knew deep down. And I think Javier offered us both a job, and she was like, "Hey, he's offering us both." She's an art director, yeah. so we weren't going to be partners, but we were go both going to work in the same agency. Cool. And he called us both and said, "Like, hey, come on over to New York. I want you both in the agency." And uh, yeah, we moved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it was. I think the most encouraging thing was Andrea Diquez is from Venezuela and she was a CEO and Javier is from Argentina and he was a CCO, mm -hmm. but this was happening in New York. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think we had worked in multicultural agencies where that happens relatively often, but it's a different thing to be running such and such in New York by two Hispanic leaders. And I was like, that can be the beautiful, beautiful chaos that will feel at the same time, like the big leagues and, and, and like home, you know? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. The most exciting stuff happening in New York City right now, in my opinion, is coming from amazing Hispanic leaders. Uh, off the top of my head, um, you got Gustavo Loria at uh, We Believers yeah. and Lanfranco and Cordova, LNC. It's just inspiring, inspiring work. Absolutely. It's incredible what's going on in New York right now. And back to Sachi, I, I do want to talk about, it's a tie dad, of course. I mean, it's so unexpected. I'm dying to know how you and the Sachi team got to this. I mean, we're so used to seeing work about stains in this space, you know, but this was the opposite. So it was just so insightful and so fresh. So I'm not surprised that this campaign became world famous. Why don't you start at the very beginning, if you, if you don't mind, Daniel? Well, first, it, it took a village. Right and and sure. and Javier and Paul were leading the team and Andrea has a, 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 a you know she she's always been very passionate about creative so they the they were all coming from the Bradshawstein campaign and so the bar was really high yeah and the brief was be the most loved brand in the Super Bowl like there wasn't much science to the brief it sounds like a typical super bowl brief <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 i think it was it's freeing and at the same time it's like oh my god where do you begin right um and the entire team got to think and uh and the notion of everyone went down the path of stains Sure. Right, because Brad Shostain had been so clear. It was like, oh, work, work on the next unexpected stain come from mm -hmm. until they flipped it. And then the idea of like, no, what if it's all about clean right. came into play. It's normally harder to make a hit about the positive. It's, it's usually easier to just tap into the like a, a real problem or somehow yeah. or somehow how your life is messed up, you know, without the product. And then the product saves yeah. the day. To make it purely about why the product is good, it's hard. It's hard. Really hard. Yeah, really hard. So how did the concept 
come about and just to just explain a bit of the a bit of the well, process. Well, it was it was a little bit that it's like if clean clothes are the thing, um, isn't every other tie that? And then once once that was said out loud, then everybody was like, "Well, Javier first one's like that's it, that's the one, right? There's right. no questions." Yeah. Um, and then everybody started writing. Um, my I think my role as a creative director to to be super transparent was more like. How much can we write? How can we craft it? Like I, they pretty much sat, Javi pretty much sat me down and said, "Like, go. Right? That <laughs> yeah. thing, it, like it's cracked. It's here. Go." And and the entire team wrote. I remember we once looked at the deck and it was like 250 potential scripts to this, and it was like. I'm sure I'm going to miss people, but between Americans and Australians and Brazilians and Italians and Argentine and Peruvians and like everyone, it was such a diverse team of extremely talented people that um, wrote as many possibilities of what this idea could be. And, and you know, there was like, there was a, a very clear um, backbone for the first spot that sets up the idea. But where that idea could be and what partnerships we could get, it was endless. Like it could be this, it could be that. Like the pharma spot. Okay, but what if what if it's a pharma spot that does this? What if it's like Old Spice? Can we get Old Spice? Can we not get Old Spice? Like it, it became. That's an like, exciting notion. To like, can we get can we get the old can we do Old Spice? Like, yeah. Can we get the Old Spice guy? Can we not get yeah. the Old Spice guy? Yeah, yeah. So, can we get Budweiser? Can we not get Budweiser? Can we get the horses without Budweiser? Can we get this? Can we get that? And so it just became like. Can we just blow out the entire thing and then decide have have enough post answers for whatever question shows up? And I think that became a little bit of the I think that became the tight way where it's like we have this big ambitious idea and then how we pull it together, well, we don't know, but we'll have a backup plan for the backup plan. Right? Um Yeah. Yeah. I mean the client must have reacted, they must have jumped for joy when when this was presented. Yeah, it's it's a huge idea. So they were extremely supportive, and then, and then bringing it to life was, you know, extremely rewarding. Like every detail counted. Everybody was obsessed over their favorite detail, and that, and that was also fun, right? Because everyone has, I think, their own favorite part of the campaign. Of like, oh, I came up with that little bit of that joke, and that person came up with that. Oh, remember when such and such said that? Like, and, yeah, that, yeah. and it all came together. So, you know, it's one of those projects where if any of the people involved wouldn't have been involved, I don't think it would have been as great. Right. You know? Because you can see everyone's fingertips, if, uh, fingerprints, but in the best possible way. You know, everybody chimed in with something that was like, that's extremely smart. Thank God you're here. Yeah. You know? So I want to talk about what came next, the follow-up campaign. I happen to like the follow-up even more than the original. It's just because of the the boldness of it all. You know, is this a football game or or is it a tie ad? And how it, you know, you didn't know you were watching an ad. Why don't, why don't you just talk about how that came about? No, I think I think there was obviously um, the ambition to make a follow-up, right? Yeah. And we were all, to be super transparent, I think we were all very like, does it need a follow-up? Like, do we have the right to make a follow-up? And it was such a true, um, to the Super Bowl experience idea of like, you know, we're being meta about the advertising around it. And look, look, everything is clean within the ads because the ads are perfect and polished. And so The ads are part of culture, right? right. Th- that was such a hit. It's like, yeah, people are talking about, yeah, yeah, you look like you're in a tight ad. Yeah. 
And when we were thinking about the follow-up, well, I think a couple of things aligned. Like there was a, <clears throat> there was clearly um, an NFL partnership from the from the client, right? Yeah, that, yeah. that they wanted to capitalize. Um, it's also a business case in the sense that what what tight needs is eyeballs. You know, we need reach, and so the NFL felt like felt like a very good place where to show up next. Yeah. Um, and so it just became of like, okay, how do we how do we make this happen? Who do we need to talk to? And and we went ahead and went talk to the NFL and talk to Fox and talk to partners and and so the whole thing started to pick up and become this like where, where did the broadcast end and the and the tie that begin? Um, right. Explain yeah. how it manifested itself. So what kind of stuff happened? Yeah, it would be like all of the tropes that happen in the broadcast of a game we would blur the lines of where that ended and where the next thing began. So if they were doing the replay of a, of a particular play, we would have shot something that felt like could be integrated into the replay. Every <laughs> single detail, whatever clothes they were wearing that day, whatever teams were playing, the dates were planned. It was like a, a lot of logistics of how to blur those lines so that you wouldn't realize when the when the thing started becoming the tight end, right? Right. And then the announcers the announcers paid it off, the game announcers. Who were they again? It was Joe Buck. Joe and Buck. Troy's. Right. And Troy yeah. Aikman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. that. That blew me away. Another thing that blew me away was the Jason Alexander hoodie. Yeah. His face is so funny in that. So what was the problem that led to the eventual solution of George Costanza's sad and disgusted face on a hoodie? So we had a we had a brief for tight hygienic clean, which is the tight that goes way, way, way deep into the fibers. And um, it was clearly something that was extremely relevant during COVID, right? Because yeah. you don't know how dirty things, like the big insight was, I, I don't know how dirty everyday things are. And that's why we were all using uh, soap and whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we needed to shed light on the idea that the clothes that you would normally wear, that you wouldn't think about cleaning, may be dirtier than they look. <clears throat> and so we thought, well, how do you dramatize that? You know, and and... There was there was a couple of options. I, I know there was like a blue light demo thing that we had to use at some point and then eventually dropped from the Super Bowl. But yeah, <laughs> we were just thinking like, how how does that like if you were the clothes, how would you feel if you went through all of that disgusting things that you put your clothes through, right? Just like sitting uh, in yeah. the subway, yeah. sitting in a park bench and. We were like, yeah, you would be like Ugh, at every single time. We'd be like, oh come on, right? Like if, if you could make that object just show the disgust. Yeah. It would help a lot. And so <laughs> there was this other trend of you know giant faces printed in shirts and things and hoodies. And we were like, well that's um that's very convenient. And we were like, well those two things go together and why don't we just take a celebrity whose face you would probably see in an ironic giant shirt or hoodie and make them the face of, of the campaign um, and see an entire day of a, of a kid's life and ha all the different things that happen to this hoodie. But the, but the interesting thing was it was also a COVID solution because we didn't know what the production 
constraints would be in winter. Right. Before vaccines, before everything. Yeah. And so putting the face of the celebrity in a hoodie meant that we could tell the story with one actor and then in post make it feel like two. Yeah. No, that was a good, right. that's a great hack. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we were thinking through of like, okay, how do we actually, you know, make this thing happen? Because we we all like the idea, but it was a matter of like, we just need to be very careful and, and go through all the protocols of safety so that nobody's in harm's mm-hmm. way, you know? And so that was the that was the spot that made sense to everyone. We laughed, right? The moment we, we told it to the client, they were all laughing and they were like, oh my God. And we were like, yeah. And then this really happens and the face goes like, mm, and then it goes like, mm, like, and we did all the faces and they were like, oh my God. Can was there like, you know, slide seven? And we think it's Jason Alexander. He's the face of disgust. I think we had a lot of faces. We went through a pro. Like we first showed the script with someone else, and then we were like, "Okay, who else could it be? Let's have some options on the table." And and at first we were like, "Is Jason gonna work? Like, are, are his eyes expressive enough?" Yeah, yeah. And we got on a call with him, and he immediately went like, "I want to be in a tight commercial. I really want to be in a tight commercial. You guys have been doing amazing work." Um, and, and he was like, I think it should be like this, this, this and that. And we're like, oh my God, he's perfect. You know, like he's just amazing. And I think it plays to that character that he's iconic and known for, where it's like, he's a little bit the butt of the joke, but not really. But he is like, you know, he's always on the losing end of the stick and in that uncomfortable situation. So it made perfect sense yeah. for it to be him. Yeah. So another campaign I wanted to talk about was for Goldfish. Yep. So... How do you end up with a campaign with uh, Boban Bernjanovic, who's the tallest NBA player, with the absolutely the largest hands, <laughs> grabbing as many goldfish as possible? How, how do you end up with something that weird and funny? Ryan, is uh, can you play that? Sure. Like a clip of you know one of those spots with Boban counting goldfish or doing stuff with goldfish. You got it? Yep. Impressive handful you got there. How many you think you got? Let me count real quick. One goldfish, two goldfish, 77 goldfish, 78 goldfish, 81, 82, 259, whoa, 261, 320 goldfish. You sure about that? (sighs) One goldfish, two goldfish. Go for the handful. <laughs> I love his voice. Okay, thanks, uh, Ryan. So how do you get to that, Daniel? How do you get to Boban <laughs> with with heaps of goldfish in his giant hands? So <clears throat> COVID happened and there were no lunchboxes because there was no schools. Yeah. And so there was no goldfish in lunchboxes because there was no school. Um, and so goldfish was trapped in the kitchen cupboards, right? Yeah. Like, it's just locked in the kitchen cupboard. It's locked somewhere in a kitchen. And, and the kids aren't going there because there's no school, there's no lunch boxes, and all the, these wonderful goldfish are there. Yeah. At the same time, we find out uh, from social listening that the behavior is parents feel, feel guilty from stealing so many goldfish by the handful <laughs> from their kids' bags. And so we're like, that's an amazing data point. Amazing data point. So we go, how do we normalize it? At the same time, Looking at what's happening on in culture, um, TikTok is booming and kids are sharing TikToks with parents and they're doing the challenges with their parents. 
And so there's this huge opportunity for adults to join the platform and do whatever crazy thing is happening. So all of those three dots connected, and we had this platform called Go for the Handful, which is just like go and eat the goldfish like you want to eat the goldfish. Yeah. Um, but in the execution, we went like, okay, so what if we could make this TikTok challenge where we could see if you could hold more goldfish than the man with the largest hand on the NBA, which is Boban Marjanovic. And so yeah. <laughs> it was just so crazy. And the client was like, but it's solving the problem, right? It's solving the problem that this is how you open the bags of goldfish and you try to see how many you can hold. And in doing so, you already have the goldfish, the delicious goldfish in your hand and you're going to eat them. And so we did this TikTok challenge and it, it was really fun. And then Goldfish and Tobias, um, who have this uh, had this YouTube channel where a beloved friends from the NBA um, and so we made the spots around the campaign uh, with them and I think they're hilarious like those two have such great chemistry such great chemistry and so yeah. the entire campaign came to be that way yeah it was just funny okay so we've talked a lot about the work you're proud of and I actually wanted to pivot to something not advertising related for a second do you have kids? I have a daughter you have a daughter? How old is she? One. One and two months. You're a busy guy. Yeah. How does this change things for you from a from a like a creative perspective? I know it's only been a year and a bit, but does it change your creative process? Is your game um, improving? Is it different? What like how does having a child, a daughter, how does it how does it change things for you? Good or bad or or maybe it doesn't? So it's really funny because when when we found out we were pregnant, we had to write this spot about uh, sustainability, you know, and, and thinking about the world in the future and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And we wrote the spot. I, I like the spot. It's a good spot. It's for PNG. And we, my wife and I couldn't agree whether it was going to be a boy or girl or what we wanted. We had just found out. Yeah. And we couldn't agree on a name. And like the, we were just like talking about it, right? But we hadn't made any decision. And I just like, like you said, I'm a comic book nerd. So I was like, <laughs> oh... I want an alliteration, right? Like Peter Parker, Clark Kent, Matt Murdock. Like I wanted something with, with an L for <laughs> yeah. Lobaton, right? And yeah. so, yeah. and so I was like, well, I guess in in honoring Lois Lane, I was like Luisa because that's Lois in mm-hmm. Spanish. Mm-hmm. That's the Lois Lane I grew up with. So I was like, Luisa is a great name. Yeah. And my wife wanted Lucia, right? Which is Lucia. I don't know. Yeah. So we were like, so I just wrote the name Luisa into the script. Because it's like, it's narrated from the point of view of this like little girl. And so I was like, hi, my name is Luisa. And I just wrote it into the global PNG sustainability campaign. Just, you know. Yeah. And then I did the math and I was like, oh, odds are Luisa will be born around the time this airs. Right? And it's going to be like the Easter eggs of Easter eggs of just like, I will forever know that I named the daughter and I beat Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> naming our daughter through this commercial oh, and then <laughs> yeah wow yeah. you and really cracked that brief that's a tough brief I, to crack and you somehow you somehow cracked it yeah so I showed her the cut and she was like oh you just put Luisa so what <laughs> I was like I guess it's gonna come out at the time and then Luisa was born like three months early which changed everything and it's a little bit a, a long way of answering your question of like how did how did paternity changed this thing it was like I don't know it was so weird because we had to stay in the hospital for three months before she could come out like she was born that early so 
it was kind of like first uh, the whole agency showed up for me like they were like hey how can we help whatever which makes you you know you always say it takes a village you have a great team whatever but it's mm -hmm. it's in one of these situations where you go like oh my god like they really have your back right mm -hmm. um and at the same time i i had no other way like you can only be in the NICU for so long mm -hmm. and it could only be one at a time because of covid so i had to spend a lot of time in the lobby of the hospital so i was like I guess I have to keep working, right? Like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to, like, cry here and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so I'm just going to focus on the work. Mm -hmm. And I think that everything changed for me on the way I approach this because you need to be fast, you need to be, like, you just start making decisions a little bit more focused, you know? And I think that was a crash course on, you know, like, like people say, like, oh, once you have kids, you balance your time differently and you make decisions faster, whatever. I think I was, like... Yeah, thank you, Luisa. You taught us that in the weirdest possible way, super fast crash course. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to make decisions in weird places and weird times. <laughs> I agree with you. Just time management. It's a real change there. Right. I've gotten way better at time management. Just the fact that, uh, you know, okay, there's like these, these beings that you're responsible for and they keep changing. So your perspective keeps changing and you're getting all these insights you know, almost daily. You get it from being a parent. So I feel it's helped. And then as my kids have gotten older, older, my oldest, Jake, is uh, he's turning 16. And, uh, you know, I put ads in front of them now. So, right. and it's actually really made me hone in on the simplest form of the idea and make sure it's not confusing. Because if they get it, like, if they get the ideas, I think that certainly most of the target and even beyond the target is going to get it. And, you know, clarity's king. So, anyways, you know. I, I use my sister that way. I mean, use is a terrible word. But, like, I, I, that's my sister to me. It's like, I'll send her something. And if she's like, no, I didn't get it. You're being too smart. I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> she doesn't care, right? She's yeah. just like, whatever. The, the other thing was. I don't know, when I worked in Kansas City, the times were very clear. Like, you came into the office around 8.39, and then people were out at 5. Yeah. And, like, they were out. And then people would reconnect and work a little bit from their laptop after the kids went to bed. And so I think when I got to New York and I had to manage people that were becoming parents before I became a parent, I, I had that in the back of my head of, like, there's another way. You don't need to be the New York agency that everyone stays super late and da 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 da, -da. Like, there's a way to balance this. Um, mm -hmm. you know so so I, I don't know the whole time management is absolutely true it also it's also weirdly healthy how much they snapped you out of work really fast like Luisa's learning how to walk and all of that and then she'll be like carry me that and you immediately forget about whatever big drama mm. happened in advertising you know and, and that's really healthy I think because before there was nothing that would snap me out of it as, as fast and you would, it would just like be in the back of my head, you know? Like it's only fucking advertising, right? It's only fucking advertising. And sometimes, sometimes shit gets stressful. Hey, can you see this? My daughter just made me this thing. Can you see? Here, I'm going to put my... Sorry, for our listeners, they don't know what's going on, but uh, I'm showing, oh, I'm showing a bracelet. Cute. So my daughter made this for me and it says it's only fucking advertising. And She did that for you? She That's did, awesome. She did that for me. It's not about the podcast. It's about a way of life. So right. if I take 
work home with me and I'm super stressed out and, and, you know, my wife Beth, well, she'll see it. I'll be like trying to do up a zipper and it's stuck. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck is with this fucking zipper, right? She's like, right. okay, <laughs> hey, hey, listen, don't bring that shit home, right? So right. so when, I have, when I'm stressed and there's a pitch going on or whatever, what I've been finding is I've been, I've been you know, looking at this, this bracelet and, I, and you have to turn it around. It's only fucking advertising. It's only fucking advertising. And suddenly my mood changes. I look at my kids and my family and this like, nice life at home and I'm like, for fuck's sakes. I'm getting stressed right. out about a bridge line. You know, right? You know what I mean. So, <laughs> it's very true. It's very true, and I think you'll. You yeah. know, the more, the more you appreciate um, what you have outside of advertising, I think it makes you better at advertising. I think so too. Okay, Daniel. I think we're going to wrap it up. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Of course, for doing this. There he is, Daniel Lobaton. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you so much, my friend. It's only fucking advertising. Okay, so there he was, Daniel Lobaton, formerly of Saatchi. I work with him at Rethink Now. It's, I'm not going to do a big infomercial thing, but listen, I'm lucky. I, I talked to him three times today, and I always have a smile on my face like I did during this whole episode. Okay, so listen, check out IOFA Podcast on Instagram for upcoming guest info. Until next time, this has been another episode of It's Only Fucking Advertising. It's Only Fucking Advertising.